Hey, once again, good morning, Calvary Church. What a joy it is on this third week of Advent to be with you, even though we're through a screen. I appreciate this time that we can have together as we look into God's word uh, here at Christmas at Calvary. Uh, and if you're a good observer, uh, you may notice that there's actually on our Christmas tree some faces on our ornaments. These are actual kids that live in Guatemala. And later in our service, we're gonna give you an encouragement even a challenge to potentially sponsor a child as an act of compassion, a gift of compassion using Compassion International. So uh, maybe be praying for these kids as we walk through the scriptures here today. If you have your Bibles, please open them up to the great book of Colossians chapter three. Colossians chapter three. We're gonna just sit on one simple verse in Colossians three, verse 12. So open up your Bibles now if you can. And I do want to just give in a couple shout outs for those that are watching. Dana Dietz, um, I'm just so appreciative and thankful for you and your faithfulness to the Lord and Calvary Church. I know you're watching. Perez family here in Santa Ana, thankful for you guys. Carlos Marquez working today, but I know you'll be watching this later. So thank you for, for even just your encouragement and support during uh, this season. So we're scattered, but we're united at this Christmas through Christ. And so look at the Bible with me to Colossians chapter three, uh, beginning in verse 12. And this is what it says. This is God's word. It says, so those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Uh, there's a saying that's gone around for a while and it says this, it says out of a hundred people that are investigating uh, Christianity, one of those a hundred people will actually read the Bible. The other 99, when they're investigating Christianity will actually examine the life of a Christian, someone who says that they are a follower of Jesus. And this is the ca calling that we're uh, asked to, to follow Jesus in is that we're called to put on a heart of compassion. Uh, one commentator says, these are the garments of grace, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And so in our time here today, we wanna to just look at this idea of how do we cultivate compassion? And if I could just even alliterate this, how do we cultivate compassion in a cruel world this Christmas at Calvary during COVID? I think I get some points from uh, Pastor David Mitchell for my alliteration here, but, but this is the world we live in, isn't it? Uh, it's a cruel world. We're, we're living this Christmas here at Calvary and beyond uh, in COVID. So, so what's it look like to actually grow in compassion when our world is cruel? Maybe you've heard of the actor Danny DeVito and he once was quoted as saying this, I tell you one thing, it's a cruel, cruel world. And I don't have to really work very hard to, to even convince you of that, do I? We know that we live in a harsh world, a hardened world, a, a cruel world. But let, let me give you one more example. This is little Sasha. Sasha is a Labrador puppy 
at this photo was about eight weeks old. Sasha was gifted to Maya. Maya was a little four-year-old when she received the gift of, of a puppy. And she was so excited. She finally had someone to take care of and be her companion. But then a week after Maya received uh, this puppy, Sasha was out in their kind of side yard and someone hopped the fence and stole Sasha away from the home. And Maya was just crushed. And I think that's just, again, points to the idea of we live in a cruel world, right? People steal puppies. How can people steal puppies from a little four-year-old? But it happens in our world, doesn't it? But there is um, a, a happy ending uh, to Sasha's story. And that is she was reunited with Maya. A few weeks later, the, the news kind of caught wind of this story, broadcast it. And then one day, uh, the person who had taken this little puppy somehow dumped it back over the fence and Maya walked out and there was Sasha. So, so that part of the story ends well. But a lot of stories in our world don't end as happily, do they? We do live in a cruel world. How do we have soft hearts in the midst of such cruelty? Uh, this writer once observed this. In a cruel and evil world, being cynical can allow you to get some entertainment out of it. So is that just the answer? Is in living in a hardened, cruel world, is it just, okay, well, the way we cope with it is we're, we just become cynical. And I think for a lot of people, that is the answer. That's how they deal with cruelty, uh, with injustice in this world. But as believers in Jesus, we're called, as Colossians 3 tells us, to put on compassion, to live differently, not, not just to respond in cynicism, but instead to respond to a cruel world with compassion. And we're not the first Christians that are called to this. In the fourth century, you had this historian Eusebius who made this observation of fourth century Christians in the Roman Empire. He writes this, all day long, some of them, the Christians, tended to the dying and to their burial, countless numbers with no one to care for them. Others gathered together from all parts of the city, a multitude of those withered from the famine and distributed bread to them all. So what's Eusebius talking about? Well, in the fourth century, there was a massive famine and disease broke out in the Roman Empire. In fact, some historians would say this is what ended the Roman Empire. This is what caused it to eventually collapse was disease and famine in the land. And so although it feels like COVID is unprecedented, and in many ways it is, every generation, every century has dealt with catastrophes, has dealt with, so to speak, cruelty uh, in their world. And so in the fourth century, it was no different. But Eusebius notes that it was the Christians who tended to people with compassion. In another historical document, it says that in the big great cities of Rome, when disease broke out, people left the cities, much like we see even in our culture. When COVID broke out earlier in the spring, I read an article that New York was, in Manhattan particularly, uh, people were abandoning the city. And so in this Roman world, people were leaving the cities except for the Christians. Christians were staying behind to care for the sick, the hurting, the broken, and even to bury the dead. 
In fact, a, a secular leader at the time, in fact, known as the, the last emperor of Rome, Julian, said this, when it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked by the, and check this out, pagan priests, or the non-Christian leaders, then I think the imperious Galileans, speaking of the Christians, observed this fact and devoted themselves to philanthropy. So when the Christians noticed that the government was not stepping in, that the secular priests uh, were not running um, to the problems, but instead running away, it was the Christians who stepped in. And then Julian goes on to say, they support not only their poor, but ours as well. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? For the secular leader to say, like they don't just support the, their fellow brothers and sisters that followed what they followed. They supported all of us. All men see that our people lack aid from us. And so the conviction that he had that the government wasn't providing what the Christians were. So this was a great testimony from the fourth century. Where did these fourth century Christians get the worldview that they were to run to the herding and not run away? Well, ultimately it stems back to following the example, the leadership of Jesus. We see in the life of Jesus, incredible supernatural compassion. Eric mentioned last week, uh, this great passage from uh, the gospel of Mark chapter six, verse 34. In fact, if you're in Colossians, just go back in your Bibles to the gospel of Mark chapter six, verse 34. And we read this observation here in the gospel of, of how Jesus saw people. I'm going to start in verse 33 and then I'll get to 34. It says, the people saw them going and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. So this is the apex of Jesus' popularity around the Sea of Galilee. People are hearing about the miracles that Jesus is performing, the authority that he's speaking in, and they're flocking out to the countryside near the Sea of Galilee to see this miracle worker. And then look at verse 34. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. A couple of words I want to just point out to you in this passage. One is, it says that when Jesus went to the shore, he saw them. And that original word means that he noticed them. It was a huge crowd, but Jesus was able to see them, particularize them. And then it says, when he saw them, when he noticed them, he felt compassion. And that word compassion can mean from your intestines or your inner bowels. It was like a poetic way of saying that Jesus hurt for them from the pit of his stomach. His whole heart and soul felt for the crowd that had gathered there by the sea. I think this is so powerful for us to observe as, as followers of Jesus. For the tendency for us is when we're in large crowds is not to see the individual, but almost to lose sight of that, right? A couple years ago, my oldest son and I uh, were given free tickets to the USC-UCLA game, which we won't talk about yesterday's game right now, but we were given tickets to this annual rivalry um, and we're big UCLA fans. Don't judge me. My dad went there. He passed it on to, my, to me and my son. And so we wore all powder blue UCLA gear to this game. But what we didn't know is the people who had given us the tickets 
were USC fans and they had bought the tickets in the USC section. So much like this picture, when my son and I arrived in the Rose Bowl Stadium, we walk through the bowl of the stadium, we come up to our seats and literally there's 20,000 people in Cardinal, Golden, Cardinal Red and Gold. And then there's my son and I in UCLA gear. And it felt like the, like the record, you know, in the movie, like when the record scratches or the mic, like everything just got quiet when we were walking up to our seats. And my son at that time was about seven years old and we sit down and I'm feeling kind of awkward and nervous that we're wearing our UCLA gear in front of this huge, you know, USC fan crowd. Uh, in the first quarter of the game, uh, UCLA just busts out and, uh, and takes the lead. And my seven-year-old son stands up on the bleacher and goes, yeah, yeah. And I'm nervous here. And I'm like, hey, Samuel, shh, sit, just keep, keep it, kind of keep it down. And I'll never forget this guy next to us wearing all USC gear, looks at him with compassion and says, son, cheer as loud as you want. And, uh, and so Samuel did. But in that moment, we were particularized. We were noticed in the crowd. It wasn't hard to notice us with our UCLA gear. But this is Jesus. Jesus sees us in the crowd. He sees you and I. He saw those that were gathered by the sea. Living here in Southern California, Orange County. Orange County, there's 3 million people that live in our county. There's a lot of crowds. But as followers of Jesus, will we see people through the crowds? We also observe in Jesus' life that he had great compassion for the suffering. Turn to Luke chapter 7 from Mark 6. Luke chapter 7 is where you read this incredible story of Jesus rising someone from the dead. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 13, says this, When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep or do not go on weeping. Let me give you a little context here. So Jesus is coming into the city of Nain and there's a crowd following him and they're in a pretty good mood. Uh, Jesus had done some incredible miracles. They were excited. There was a buzz around the ministry of Jesus. And so they're entering into the city right as there's a funeral procession leaving the main city courtyard. And so you have this great, robust, happy group passing this mourning set of grievers. And Jesus notices their suffering. It says here that it was a widow who had lost her son. So now this is the second tragedy of her life. Maybe there have been more, but we know if she's called a widow that she had lost her husband. And now she is bearing her son. And Jesus, again, seeing her, he saw her, he noticed her. And then he looks at her and he feels that gut level compassion for her and her suffering. And then he gives her this prophetic word. He says, don't go on weeping. Why does he say that? Well, look ahead to verse 14 of Luke 7. It says this, and he came up and touched the coffin and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And then check this out. The dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Verse 16, fear gripped them all and they began glorifying God saying, a great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people. 
which boy, they didn't even know what they were saying, right? That's, that's Advent. God has visited his people. Emmanuel, God is with us. The arrival. It says God's visited his people. And then verse 17, the report concerning him went around all of Judea and in the surrounding district. So this incredible miracle of Jesus, he notices this widow's suffering and then he acts out of his compassion. He's moved to raise her son from the dead. It's amazing. So Jesus has compassion on the crowds. He notices people. Jesus had compassion on the suffering and Jesus even had compassion on his enemies. This is a quote from Jesus uh, on the cross. He's literally dying on the cross. And yet, even in this extreme physical and emotional and spiritual pain, Jesus utters these words from the cross found in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. If you're in Luke 7, go over to Luke 23. Luke 23, 34. And it says these words, but Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus just has incredible compassion on the very people who are crucifying him, who are killing him. As followers of Jesus Christ, is this our story? Do we have this type of compassion from the guts of our soul? For even our enemies. Back to Colossians chapter 3. We're called here by the Apostle Paul, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit, to write these words to put on compassion. Literally, I want you to think of it as putting on clothes. Uh, you would never think, uh, or hopefully, you wouldn't think, about leaving your house today without wearing clothes. Although I'm sure you've had that dream, right? Where you forgot to wear pants when you went to high school. Um, but no, it's just part of our routine. Before we leave our house, which I know a lot of us aren't leaving our houses, but if we were leaving our houses, you put on clothes. You put on the proper attire to go out. Colossians 3 is saying spiritually we should do that. That as followers of Jesus, we should put on compassion. We should wear that wherever we go. Colossians 3.12 says that you have been chosen. Think about uh, in elementary school when they would line everybody up and they'd pick two captains in PE and the two captains would then begin choosing teams and saying, I choose you, I pick you. And you know, there's always that, I always had that like feeling of like, oh no, I don't want to be the last person chosen, right? But here is God and God's saying, I choose you. I want you on my team. You're my son. You're my daughter. I selectively and actively and intentionally choose you. And when I choose you, I make you holy and beloved. I feel like there's a lot of us here today and, and maybe you're kind of halfway in, halfway out in this message. Hone in right now. <laughs> Listen to this. You are holy and beloved if you've believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord that you're holy, that you're set apart, that you're made holy, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And you are absolutely beloved by God. In a culture that's cruel, I want you to hear that once again. You are beloved by God. It's the best gift we could ever receive from God to be loved by God. And that's the truth. 
You're chosen, you're set apart, you're holy, and you are the beloved as a follower of Jesus. So then put on these garments of grace. Put on compassion. This is our calling. In the same way that you put on clothes to go outside. Put on compassion when you enter into this cruel world. Now, I get it. During COVID, a lot of our tanks are on empty, right? It just kind of feels like I I just don't have much more to give. I'm tired. I have a little bit of mild depression. Um, I'm weary. Even if I had a full tank, who am I supposed to give compassion to? Like, we're all locked down right now. And so I just won't even acknowledge that. It's, It's normal to feel a little compassion fatigue or a little compassion emptiness right now. But what would it look like to grow in compassion even during this season? To cultivate compassion in our lives. My wife Marie loves sweet peas. These are sweet peas, but they are not the sweet peas that we attempted to grow this summer. Uh, During COVID, like a lot of you, came up with a lot of house projects to do. And one of the projects that I dreamed of doing was growing these sweet peas and being able to give them to Marie as an act of love. So we bought some seed packets and we actually had a neighbor that kind of walked us through how to do it, who has some skills in this area. But our sweet peas could not grow. (laughs) No matter how hard we tried, we overwatered them, we underwatered them, and we just didn't have any success. Thus, I had to find this photo on Google. But these are beautiful sweet peas and, and someone did cultivate these sweet peas. What would it look like if compassion grew in your home? this Advent season? What would it look like if you cultivated compassion as a follower of Jesus, not to earn the love of Jesus, but simply as a response and you're following the way of Jesus who had compassion on the crowds and had compassion on the suffering, had compassion even on his enemies. What's it look like to cultivate compassion in our lives? Well, I want to give you just a couple of just practical ways that we can do this this Advent season. We've mentioned this a few times over the fall, but I want to encourage you to be going around your neighborhood and simply praying over your neighbors. Um, Whatever that looks like. Maybe you live in an apartment complex or a duplex or a neighborhood or a tract home, whatever. Wherever you are, wherever God has placed you, I want to challenge you as a way to cultivate compassion in your life to simply prayer walk your neighborhood. If you're not physically able to do that, maybe just pray for the people that walk by your door or your window or that come to your mind. But I want to challenge us to be people of prayer. We've started this initiative called Pray and Go. And it's the idea that uh, you try to pray for as many houses in your kind of radius as possible. We'd love to even hear any stories that come out of that time. But when we go before the Lord, on behalf of people, God does something in our heart. He takes our empty hearts and fills them with his spirit, allows us to put on the garments of grace like compassion. And then speaking of compassion and and the kids that you see here on the tree and represented through the ornaments, uh, Eric mentioned this last week, but we have an opportunity today uh, to sponsor a child through Compassion International. Compassion International is this incredible organization that works with the poorest of the poor. Those that are being pretty much beaten up and pushed down by a cruel world. Compassion goes through the local churches in these areas 
and provides meals for kids, provides Bible instruction for them so that they can learn the ways of Jesus as their physical needs are met. And so we want to invite you to pray today a way you could cultivate compassion in your life would be simply to sponsor a child today. That could be a way that that compassion meter could grow in your life as you care for the least of these. And when, when I talk about least of these, I'm referring to what Jesus says in, in the book of Matthew chapter 25, when he says, whatever you do for the least of these, you do unto me. So a gift of compassion you could give Jesus this Advent Christmas season is to give to the least of these. Compassion is a great tool for that. Check out this video. I want you to see uh, up close how compassion impacts the one. Growing up as a child, life was very hard. And many other times that if we didn't have food, then we'd go to scavenge in the, in the dumping site. I didn't have food the day before, neither the other day before. I only knew that I was hungry and I needed food. As a child, I grew up with a lot of hopelessness and I knew that death was the best thing for me. At the age of seven, I lost three family members. I lost my mom and I lost my stepdad. I lost my small brother, Patrick, because of the terrifying disease of HIV AIDS. In the middle of prostitution. Feeling so helpless. Poverty made me feel less valued. It made me feel not loved. It made me feel uh, less of a human. Because it's so hard when you have not eaten dinner and knowing you not have lunch and you're not assured for dinner the following day, it's just feeling very helpless, like things are not gonna be better. I lost four of my siblings due to preventable diseases. Uh, three of them died before the age of five. My sister, we were sleeping with her in the same bed and she, she had died. Things changed later when I joined the program. When I started attending the Compassion Project, I was learning about the Bible, but the most important thing for me was that I was receiving food. I got an opportunity to go to school uh, with a pair of school uniform, with a pair of shoes. My mother heard about a church that worked with children. They're taking care of me, tutors, a pastor, a compassion director. Words are very powerful. My life was changed because someone told me, I believe in you, I love you, and I know you will succeed in life. My sponsor was a college student from Michigan, and in the first letter, she just told me that she wanted to make room for me. My sponsor, he was eight years old when I was nine, so he was one year younger than me. One decision to make room for one more changed my life. 
saved my life. Save my life. Will you make room for a child that needs you? Will you make room for one more? It's up to you. My name is Rafael. My name is David. My life was changed by a 26 years old college student. Her name is Joan. Gail and Roger. Her name is Jamie. My sponsor made room for one more. And that one more. And that one more was me. Was me. Sponsor a child through compassion today. Release a child from poverty in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hey, I'm joined here by our senior pastor here at Calvary Church, Eric Wakeling. And Eric, compassion's been pretty close to your heart, hasn't it? Yeah, that's right. And as I mentioned last week, we have a sponsored child named Franklin. And as you saw in that video of them making room for that one more picture, uh, it just made me think too of this spot where we have in our home, where right next to our microwave and our oven is this picture that we put up here of Franklin. And so this is a spot we cook everything in our microwave, basically. So <laughs> just kidding. But like where we are able just to see him all the time and to pray for him and to really just be considering this relationship and wanting that to be an ongoing thing. And so this way that we can respond to cultivate this kind of compassion in our life is to sponsor a child through Compassion International. Now, again, this is all about children living in extreme poverty in countries all around the world. But what we want to do is have 250 kids that have been selected, pre-selected in this certain region of Guatemala. Okay, so here's Guatemala here in Central America. Now, most of these kids are all in this, an area south of Guatemala City near Antigua. And so in this area down here where we would be able then just to meet this huge need of 250 kids who are in need of food, who are in need of health training, who are in need of education, and who are in need of the gospel, yeah. most of all, right? That we know that through compassion, which is all, all happens through the local church. Mm-hmm. Everything they do happens through the local church and through people that live and are from this country, each yeah. specific country. And so it's such a beautiful thing to see then a kid like Franklin or whoever maybe that you end up sponsoring be able to be part of a church and to be part of a compassion center that is helping them with their real physical needs coming from extreme poverty, but also when it comes to their spiritual right. need as well. And, and Guatemala is a unique country. And yeah, you may be thinking, well, why Guatemala of all the places in the world? Well, one, it's not that far from here. It's just below Mexico. And as you can see on the screen, Cameron Townsend, who we talked about last October as someone that had a huge influence in missions at Calvary, the founder of Wycliffe uh, Bible Translators. So Cameron's first outpost or assignment, if yeah. you will, was actually in the country 
country of Guatemala. He originally came there to sell Bibles. And as he began to meet indigenous people there, his heart was just moved and touched to translate the Bibles into scriptures that they could understand. And so in a sense, if I could make this kind of leap, we're going full circle uh, in our commitment to Guatemala, where Cameron Townsend in the 30s and 40s first got involved. We want to go back to Guatemala and make a a real difference there. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I think could be so special about us having, you know, a lot of us from Calvary sponsoring these 250 kids is that you have this relationship with the letter writing, and then we also have a great opportunity to be able to go. Mm -hmm. Um, Like you said, it's a short flight Mm -hmm. and it's a place that's pretty easily accessible for us. And even just uh, a year ago, I went down and that kid you saw on that picture next to my microwave, we were able to go and I was able to go visit. And this is the moment where I met Franklin. And so just this great, kind of shy at first little kid, but then as we began to play with these matchbox cars and soccer and Mm -hmm. stuff like that, just coming out of his shell, I was able to have, you know, really great conversations with his mom Mm -hmm. and to be able to get to know her and see how fiercely protective she is. And Mm -hmm. we're able to travel around and see like homes of where people are living. And it's just, it really is hard. It's really rough. Extreme poverty is a difficult image and it's things like pallets for walls or pieces of corrugated roof to, you know, to kind of put alongside your, your bedroom and dirt floors and all of that. It's that kind of situation. But at the same time, (laughs) there's joy, right? There's just this beautiful joy in the lives of these kids. And so a way that we can cultivate our own compassion, as you were talking about, is for us to practice it. And sometimes we need to just do actions to help kind of keep us reminded and cultivating that compassion within ourselves. And so through this whole thing of sponsoring a child, 38 bucks a month, and it's this ongoing relationship that's filled with letter writing and potentially visiting is really mm-hmm. just, I think, a beautiful way to do that. Even though it's, uh, we know 2020 has been a hard season, yeah. but I think even now, and especially now, because a lot of these kids aren't getting sponsored right. now because of the season financially that we're in. So here's the way that you can do it, right? First of all, go to calvarylife.org slash compassion. This is our website and we have these specific kids are gonna be like there and available at this website. And so you can see even here, like how, like what it looks like. So you go to calvarylife.org slash compassion, you see this and you kind of scroll down and then you'll see even like these lists of of names and pictures and you just click there, choose me Mm -hmm. and you click there and then you start to fill out the process of sponsoring a child. So we'd ask for you to join in and be prayerful about it, but don't wait, just too long. Like join in and let's be part of this way of cultivating compassion together. So Matt, would you just pray as, um, thank you for sharing God's word with us yeah. as well as you know, for us to think about this opportunity. It's, mm-hmm. it's big. We have a big opportunity to be able to grow. Yeah. So let's go before the Lord. Let's ask him to grow our compassion. Mm-hmm. Father, we thank you for uh, today and just this week of Advent. And God, we know and we acknowledge that we live in a cruel world, a world that can easily make us cynical and jaded. But God, uh, we put on your compassion in our lives this Advent season. And we ask that you would grow and cultivate a deep compassion in us, just as Jesus you had as you walked among us. Lord, uh, praying through our neighborhoods, Uh, sponsoring a compassion child. God, if these are things you're calling us to, would your spirit move even right now to say yes, that we'd give us an obedient heart to say yes. 
Um, God, if there's other things you're bringing to our mind right now of ways to cultivate this compassion, God, show us. Uh, We even invite that even in this moment. And so, Lord, thank you that as you call us to compassion, um, we look to you as the ultimate source of it. Mm -hmm. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.